Hello and welcome to the Body Electric Podcast, Episode 9, for uh, Thursday, August 13th, 2015. My guest today is a fantastic bassist named John Maharaj. Uh, John is a top call bassist in Toronto and uh, has recently played on albums for Alison Au, Amanda Tossoff, Morgan Childs, Harley Card, and the wonderful singer Emily Claire Barlow. Uh, thanks to our listeners who had some great questions for John. They were really helpful, uh, and he did his best to answer them in the uh, podcast. If you'd like to ask questions or uh, just say hi, uh, you can get me on Twitter. That's at Nate Hiltz, N-A-T-E-H-I-L-T-Z, or visit my website at www.nathanhiltz.com. Enjoy the podcast, and thanks for listening. So, hey, John. What's up, man? How are you? Uh, Good. So, we're great recording. So, while it's recording, I just want to say amazing show. Oh, So, this is part of the show. It's such a great... Right on cue. Talk right on cue, right, baby. Right. Nice. Um, yeah, I think it's an amazing show. I think what you're doing, I think it's so great that you're, you know, promoting Toronto musicians. In oh, way. beautiful, it's man. Great. I'm glad you're doing it. Thank you very much. So, I'm really enjoying doing it. You know? Great. And uh, I was definitely looking forward to talking to you about it because we've had some cool musical conversations over the uh, years, I think. We have. Here and there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been very here and there. We haven't actually played together very much, I don't think. No, not a ton. Yeah. We're about the same age, I guess. Yeah. We went through school, so yeah, it's just mm. one of those things. Cool. I guess it's a big enough city. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always finding people who are roughly our age who I've never played with, and it's kind of absurd. I know. I keep meeting new people, and it's just, there's so many pockets, right? Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a complex. Even just within the jazz scene, there's different pockets of people, mm-hmm. which is kind of incredible when you think about it. Like mm-hmm. it's, it makes you realize sort of how big the city actually is. Mm. I, I remember when I was coming up in school that it was uh, Humber and U of T were kind of like opposed in a way. There was a lot, not a ton of crossover, but some jam sessions there was some stuff. You know? Yeah, it was, I mean, and you know, I think it almost is still that way. Mm. And, uh, and I don't know why that is. But um, especially since, I mean, when, when we were in school, a lot of the faculty was the same at all three schools. It mm-hmm. was like, you know, I mean, it was the so, same sort of 15 people who would sort of do the circuit. So it's odd that there was any sort of, but I, I know exactly what you mean. I remember being vibed out and, and being perceived because there were, at that time there was this elitist perception of U of T uh-huh. that I thought and think was unfounded, but it just felt like that was the perception from... Uh-huh. Um, so you were a U of T guy. I was a U of T guy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Class of '03. Is that mm-hmm. when you finished as well? I finished '04. Okay. And then I did a bit of a victory lap in '05 to finish up my general education classes. Of course. Yeah. That, yeah. that seems to be the standard. Uh, yeah. Very, very standard. Yeah. Um, and um, but I actually did my masters at U of T, and I remember you know Humber was often at the butt of jokes right. at the end of jokes. You know, this isn't Humber, they'd say. But, you know, every it was just kind of a joke. I think it's kind of harmless because I think in in actual fact the students are actually pretty cool with one another. Well, yeah, and I mean. You know, I I remember hearing those jokes. I never really thought. I mean, I was kind of too buried in my own cocoon to really have much of a perception of whatever was going on. Um, but now, you know, being faculty at Humber, mm. having gone to U of T but being faculty at Humber, there's a lot of aspects of the Humber program where I'm like, yeah, like yeah, the curriculum is it's so defined. It's it's very much sort of seems goal oriented in terms of mm-hmm. developing a foundation or on your instrument, I think, mm-hmm. which, um, when I was at U of T, I mean, and that was years ago, uh, it was more of a sort of loosey goosey program. There was no, 
there weren't as clear expectations in every class. Mm. You know, um, some of them did. Uh, you know, like uh, some of your training classes had, it was very clear what you need to do, but in a lot of the improv classes, it wasn't necessarily always the clearest thing what it was we were doing. Whereas, you know, Humber, you know, the first day, you, there's the curriculum, and it's yeah. like, this is what we're doing, and by the end, there you've done it, you know. Mm -hmm. So It's hard to compare the two programs as well, because U of T is, what, like 60, 70 students from first year up to doctorate. Yeah. And then Humber's 400, 500 or something yeah. like that, you know. Yeah, and, and you know... I mean, I, again, I don't know what, hum, or what U of T is like now, but I remember when I was there, it was sort of a very, it was like modern, like post-1960 whatever jazz. Yes. With an emphasis on like 70s ECM, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. better or for worse, right? Right. Whereas, um, and I don't know what it's like now, but uh, whereas Humber, you know, and, and even now it's even more so, it's like you, you could go to Humber and you could fulfill the requirements for the first couple of years, but then you could spend the rest of the time studying like country totally and play in a really happening country ensemble and mm -hmm. hang out with other songwriters in your class mm. and just do that and never think about mm -hmm. playing and that's and I think that's amazing like I mean I heard the country ensemble the last two years I think it was the last two years and it was incredible mm. they sounded amazing like you know playing their own songs this is a real deep pocket and it was just like man this is like I wish I could go to school now. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, like yeah, really totally. sort of pursue mm -hmm. those other things. Like in U of T, I didn't. And the, really... the Latin thing is really strong too. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's I mean, almost as strong as the jazz is is at at Humber. You know, in terms of the teachers they have and the ensembles and all that. Well, it's cool because I mean, I know like amongst the bass faculty, it's so diverse. It's like you know, you've got rep people who represent so many different aspects of music in the city that are going on at a very high level and so it's like you know you can study with you know like if you want to I, I mean it's just so if you want to get into like really serious electric bass playing there's like some guys there's like mm -hmm. you know there's Pat there's Colin you know there's Vaughn and it's like and if you want to get into straight ahead like if you want to really learn the tradition there's like Neil and it's just it's so mm. It's crazy, right? When I was at U of T, it was just because it's small. There were only there were two, and it was, and then I didn't touch the electric bass for four years when I was there. Right. You know, and it, it's just it's just different. I mean, not to throw shade on either one or anything. It's just it's just funny how two schools that are post secondary jazz programs can be so incredibly divergent in terms of mm -hmm. how they present what is essentially the same twelve notes and the same mm. information drawing from the same recorded catalog of mm. it's something i loved about u of t though was the the opportunity to interact with the classical program yes i mean that's something that is not as strong at humber i would yeah. say and um you know when you're a full-time student at u of t you can take any class you want so you mm -hmm. can really get in as deep as you want i think uh, alex goodman did a lot of counterpoint and yeah sort of classical orchestration i mean that's an amazing opportunity to have in a resource you know? exactly absolutely and and you know i don't know I mean, when I was there, it was in the same building. It was like yeah. in the next room, maybe, yeah. where that was going. I know they moved the jazz faculty uh, probably like 10 years ago now. I was going to say yeah, a couple of years ago, but it's... Oh, it's only a couple of years. Is it's it only been a years? couple of years. Okay. Yeah, a few, two or three years. Oh, that's like that. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not that old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges, right? But it's funny that it's like, it's all, it's, it's going it's, it's gonna to be the same thing in the end, mm -hmm. but just the, the process by which, you know... A student can get there can be so completely different just based mm -hmm. on 
so many different things. You mm. know? Was school helpful for you as a player? Um, there, yes, there were aspects like, uh, you know, offhand, you know, I mean, where do, where do I start? That's, that's a, the best things I took away from U of T were, um, the private lessons, like Dave Young was really good about, you know, when I came into school, I was like a kid, I, I could play a lot of notes, but I was just kind of full of, I was full of it, right? Right. And, and I didn't really know that because where I'm from, there wasn't a really good, I'm from Mississauga, like not cool Mississauga, like I was listening to Ross's, you know, he went <laughs> yeah. to Cothra, oh, yeah. and all yeah. that, an art school, right? Yeah. Where I was from, it's like the other side of Mississauga, which is kind of like, it's called Meadowvale, it's like the northwest corner of Mississauga. And, uh, you know, there wasn't much, at least not that I knew of, like I didn't know about anywhere you could go to play jazz. I tried to set up jam sessions towards the end with, uh, you know, friends in school, but they weren't as into jazz as I was. And so it was kind of like, I found myself kind of being like, come on guys, let's do this. And it's mm -hmm. like, they just didn't want to. And, and that's cool. Cause if it's, you know, don't do it if you don't want to do it. But so yeah, school was really helpful. You know, Dave was really good about being very blunt about, you know, you're playing out of tune, mm -hmm. you know, you're a bit of a chump. And, and I took lessons with Jim Vivian after him, and he was also, he was also very good in terms of, in terms of everything. I mean, he was very formative. I mean, he's the guy, if not for him, I wouldn't have moved to New York, you know, when I mm -hmm. did. Um, that was largely his influence, because he was almost insistent upon it. Um and, uh, and, you know, Kirk's ear training class was incredible because mm -hmm. I don't know if he teaches ear training at Humber, but his, his ear training class at U of T was basically, the end result was, you know, be on a gig and not have any idea what the tune is and somebody plays it at you on piano and you can get it. Mm. Which for a bass player is basically what we have to do, mm -hmm. you know. And he was really good and he had a really methodical way of teaching it. Mm. Um and same with his improv class, it was, it was a lot of tools and it was very cut and dry. It's like either you're able to execute this or you're not. We didn't really talk about the artistic thing as much, um, which when you're, you know, 20, it seems like a drag, but... Right, we were hungry for a little bit of that metaphysical stuff. Right? Yeah, but yeah. looking back, it was, you know, but it's, it's so funny because it's so backwards because I, I was, um, when I was at UT, Phil Nimmons was still teaching an improv course there. Wow. And it was, and I didn't understand how incredible it was when I was there. And it's, and a lot of stuff didn't even sink in until like a few years ago. Mm. Um, that just all sort of been rattling around in there. Like, you know, he used to, he used to do this thing where, um, and I, um, when I was on tour with Morgan Childs a few years ago, I'd tell this story a lot in clinics because it was just so, it was just so Phil. Um, it was like, you know, we had this ensemble, which was, like all the like the heavies or we thought you know it was just, it was just kind of like a right kind of like a an ensemble like any other but we thought we were really good <laughs> and uh you know I'd, I'd play a solo that you know and i'd play a bunch of garbage and i'd be quite pleased with myself <laughs> and phil would just like look at me or whoever else and just look at the idea of the eye and be like form and that's all he'd say, right? And he'd give you nothing else. And, mm -hmm. and, and he always kept it so positive. So, you know, a, a lesser mind, which was the one I had, mm. uh, and still do have, but, you know, I think, well, you know, I must be really good because he's not saying much. And it wasn't right. until I was like, oh, he was, ba he was calling us out right? In, in, on musical terms, not on anything technical, not on any, like, 
you know, sort of jazz stuff, but an, an, over, an overarching musical thing, just, you know, basically saying that what you're playing has nothing to do with the song. Right. And he would say that a lot. He'd talk about swing and the beat he put on, like, Joe Williams and stuff and Big Band. And a lot of us didn't get it, myself included. It's like, mm. why are we listening to the blues again? This is ridiculous. Right. You know, it's like, oh, wait a second. I'm missing, uh, you know, uh, there's so many opportunities that I, I missed out on, frankly, just because being a... I think a lot of the best aspects of school, to answer that question in a much longer way than I intended, <laughs> which could have been a yes or no. And it's I all good, it's it. all good. Um, if I had been a better musician, and if I hadn't been as cocky as I was, I probably would have gotten a lot more out of a lot of the other aspects of school mm -hmm. than I could have. Um, I don't know, do you find the same thing? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. I was really cocky. I mean, you know, coming from Nova Scotia where, you know, there is there is a good jazz education team, but it's a small pond, you know. And yeah. And you come up and you think that, you know, you've got, a, you've got this everything together, you know. Yeah. And uh, I definitely had a lot of humbling experiences. More more so at jam sessions, mm -hmm. you know. Like there used to be that Rocket Jam and the Rex Jam. Yeah. It was really vibrant uh, in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, though I did have a few teachers that like kind of were had constructive criticism was part of their mandate. You yeah. know, David Occupenny is the one that comes to mind mostly right. for me, um, and I found that to be rare actually. Yeah. Uh, someone that was actually willing to call you out yeah. in terms of what you were doing. You know, um, so I always found that really to be helpful in yeah. terms of you know. But I, but once I got here and I met guitarists like uh, Lee Wallace or yeah. you know Trevor John Cole and stuff, that sort of attitude thing kind of had to go away. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's funny, like, it's uh, it's such a silly thing, and, you know, it's something as old as time, you know, sort of being the fish in a, a big fish in a small pond, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, but it's it's such a, you know, and it's it's funny, because I find teaching, too, like, I'll, I try and, you know, carry the torch of constructive criticism, mm -hmm. let's call it, and then the calling mm -hmm. out thing, because I think it's a valuable thing, and, you know, in the moment, it might not feel good. Like, it didn't feel good to be when, when Dave Young was calling me up and playing out of tune, or mm -hmm. Phil was basically saying, you know, you're not playing music right now. Mm -hmm. But, like, <laughs> but that's, it's the best. It I is mean, the best. it's, it's yeah. the best, because, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and, and, I, and I, I miss that, because, you know, when you get older, it's like, you're less likely to get called out mm -hmm. because just it's just you know the way mm -hmm. things are. I feel like the calling out maybe happens like in action you know yes I, one of my um, like something that really gets me is like comping for someone like Kirk McDonald because mm -hmm. I'm constantly have to like just work really hard to know what's happening and to feel like I'm supporting and he's someone that doesn't give you much feedback either mm -hmm. so it's just like that experience of trying to keep up with a player yeah. like that is just you know something that really kicks my ass nowadays yeah. you know yeah yeah, it's, I guess when you, when you get older and more mature, you sort of call yourself out more, mm -hmm. you can kind of be more real, mm -hmm. um, and the more music you listen to, you sort of realize, I, I found like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just listening to so much more music than I ever did when I thought I was really good, mm -hmm. and so when you, when you just listen, you realize you, you can, at, at best you can exist, you know, yeah. and like, occupy some of the same space. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it's funny, just funny being an arrogant kid. I kind of miss it, man. I miss yeah. I miss that confidence. Sure. I miss sure. being absolutely sure that I could just mm -hmm. shred. Totally, totally. <laughs> it was very nice. Why don't we? Um, Want to play a song? Let's play a song. Okay. Let's get a let's get you a song. 
see if we can bring up some of our arrogance. And, yeah, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's play the most inaccessible blues possible. Mm. All right, sounds good to me. So, encourage some serious beard scratching and stroking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do you want to do Tenor Madness or do you want to do Let's do Tenor Madness, sure. Because it's a nice one and the kids love it. The kids love Tenor Madness. The kids love it. Cool. It's F, right? Or is it B flat? I think it's usually B flat. We okay. Could, we could do it in F. Let's do B flat. Okay. I guess you want, want to play the melody together then? Since you want to sure. Okay. Uh, nice gentlemanly tempo. Uh,
was tenacious on my part, but we'll work that out. <laughs> well, it is, uh, you know, 67% humidity down here after oh, being really? 57% for the last week. Yeah. Shouldn't it be raining right now? What's that? Oh, I guess that would be 100%, right? That would be 100%, yeah. Okay. Great. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, you too. Nice, man. Nice. So, um, what, uh, what occupies your practice uh, nowadays? Oh... What kind of things uh, are you exploring? <laughs> oh, okay, um, <laughs> all right. Figuring out how to get uh, poo out of things. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's a big part of my practice regimen now. Oh, it um, just finds its way into lots of interesting places. Yeah, on gigs I think of how can I remove human feces from this and, you know, no. <laughs> uh, for the listeners at home, I have a baby girl, which is why I'm not, I'm not suddenly becoming continent. Uh, although it's always on the horizon. What am I practicing? You know, honestly, since she's been born, since Talia has been born, um, I'm, it's been a really busy year. It's been a great year. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been, you know, I, I used to, I'm a huge fan of maintenance practice of just making sure that everything is there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I haven't been able to do that really because, uh, because I have a little baby. So now, um, my practice is usually based on learning music for whatever is on the horizon. Because mm -hmm. this year, I mean, it's been a lot of music, a lot of recordings of people's original music, which has been amazing. Mm -hmm. But as you know, you know, that's... To learn somebody's new music from scratch, it's not like learning sort of great American songbook things. It's a bit of a different thing because you're suddenly occupying a whole new language. And so... And I've always, you know, if, I, if if somebody asks me to record something, I want to go in. I want to be able to try and forget that I'm wearing headphones and that there's, I want as much as possible. I want to try and be in the moment. Mm -hmm. So, that's been the big thing. And so, but within that, it's I'm trying to keep the basics in there. Like I'm, you know, for me, it's like time and tuning, or the, in spite of how I might sound, <laughs> uh, the. Those are sort of always the most important things, I find. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a real bass player thing, I guess. But it's kind of like... That's kind of non-genre specific. Because, I mean, I'm playing, obviously, a lot of jazz, but then there's a lot of other things I'm involved in. And, and, and those... And, but those things like time, intonation, and tone ring true no matter what you're playing, mm -hmm. right? Like, feel. And so within the different music I'm trying to learn and, and do justice to, I'm trying to keep it with the mind... To those things, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, being able to explore it at a certain point, but like my ground zero is just making sure that I can, mm. and it sounds simple, but it's not, and you know, or maybe it is simple, and I'm just not very good. Well, I mean, yeah. Michael Jordan, when asked about how to play basketball really well, he's always like fundamentals, right? Dribbling, shooting, just like the simple stuff. Yeah, you know? and from there, he's able to like <laughs> do yeah. crazy things, right? Yeah, and I mean, and I feel like that's really. I feel like that's true in music because I feel like if, if you really understand the fundamentals of whatever it is you're doing, um, music, you, it's not like, it's not a jazz thing to me, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I, I mean, I, I, coming back to you know, school and things like one thing when I'm teaching, I, I try and make it clear that like, you know, the fun, it's not a jazz thing. It's like you play jazz better if you know the fundamentals, but you're going to play rock and roll better. You're going to write better songs. You're going to mm -hmm. do whatever it is you want to do better if you get how the nuts and bolts work together mm -hmm. because then you can manipulate those rules that you really understand 
to achieve whatever it is you want. Whereas if you're still grappling with, you know, the analogy I, I use sometimes is like, you know, building a house. It's, it's the most, you're literally pouring a foundation, right? Mm -hmm. You can, you know, you can hang Van Gogh's on the wall, but if, if the house, if the walls aren't built on a strong foundation, the house is going to sink and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, you know, that, that's what, that's how I feel. And I feel like I'm feeling more and more as I'm getting older, mm -hmm. um, as we're all getting older. And it's just, I, I feel more strongly and more passionately about the importance of fundamentals. Mm -hmm. I'm really, I get really excited by that stuff. I'm already playing long tones. Like today, you know, it was the first day in a long time where I could, you know, this morning just play a bit of just maintenance, just do some mm. slow major scales. Mm. And, and I like that. Like I actually do. And just listening to every note and making sure they're even and in tune and mm. sounding how they're supposed to. I mean, it's a silly thing. I mean, but I, I really, you know, I really like that stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and with a, with a lack of time to really, you know, work for hours and hours and hours, uh, are you still enjoying playing the bass? Oh like, man, the gigs I, are still really more, fun. More, more than I used to. You know, really? What? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, more so because, I mean, I before, before all this 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 new life, <laughs> uh, I was like a big practicer. Like, and when I was in high school too, like, you know, no exaggeration, I was the guy who would practice like seven hours a day. I had this elaborate system worked out, mm -hmm. and part of it was because I I, I don't really have any talent. Like, anything I can do is something that's been learned. I wasn't one of those guys. Like, I'm, I'm good at other things, mm -hmm. but music has never been something I've been good at. So mm -hmm. I've always had to really, really try. Right. You know, um, very few things musically have come naturally. And so, you know, I used to get into that. And then, you know, it sort of got less over the years. But then, you know, since Talia's been born, it's been like, you know, if I can squeeze in an hour or two, if I can get two hours in a day, that's a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cool. I don't know. When, I, when I'm playing music with people, I feel like I, I'm, I'm actually listening to more music. I guess it's funny, you know, it, within the same couple of months, and I think these things are all related, maybe deeply subconsciously, otherwise I wouldn't be saying them. You know, around the same time she was born, uh, I guess a month or two, like, I, had, I quit Facebook um, uh -huh. just because I was getting like kind of, I mean, sort of, it's not the universal Facebook experience, but it's, it was mine. It was just, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here, you know, in my home and I'm, I'm living what I think is an amazing life, playing music and holding my, you know, beautiful baby girl. And I'm looking at a newsfeed at gigs other people are doing and getting jealous. Right. Like that's just right. so, to me it was so messed up and I realized I was doing that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just, I couldn't. I, I'm, I don't have, I'm not really thick enough skin to like let that roll off all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of had to get rid of it. But in that time, I also cashed in like all these aeroplane miles and bought a bunch of iTunes gift cards, mm -hmm. like 150 bucks worth of iTunes, which if you're into old jazz now, because there's all these like eight records, it's like these sets. I don't know if the stuff's become public domain or what, but they're really high quality right. compilations of like, you know, the complete Kenny Burrell from like 58 to 60. Wow. So I just grabbed up a bunch of that stuff, a bunch of like Clark Terry, a bunch of Sonny Stitt. And so I've just been listening to all that. And it's been, I don't know, man, it's, it's been kind of great. Like mm. just, you know, like we have a routine where every day after dinner, I'll take Tally on a walk so that Kathleen can, Kathleen's my wife for, mm -hmm. for the listeners at home, <laughs> um, so that she can sort of, you know, not 
go completely insane. Yeah. And so on that walk, I can check out, you know, a podcast mm-hmm. or I can check out a record or two, like, you know, those old jazz records are great because you can squeeze two of them into an hour and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, it's kind of rejuvenated. Not that my, the love for music ever diminished, but it's sort of made it just something different, mm-hmm. you know, and also playing other kinds of music, like not playing jazz all the time really makes me realize how much. Yeah, so you were at the gig with Phil Dwyer, right? The, the one with Morgan, Morgan's gig? Yes, I, I really enjoyed that show. That was actually, that was, um, well, thank you. And that was like, that was a, a real epiphany for me personally, because I realized, I was like, I really love this music. Mm. And, and I mean, of course I realized that, but I was like, like, you know, playing with Phil and Morgan, of course, but I had never played with Phil before. And just like hearing somebody play that honestly, but that virtuosically, but virtuosic in a musical way, mm-hmm. where it wasn't about, it's not about moving fingers it's about the genius is you know just everything he's referencing and everything and it's just so just so deep and like Mm. i recorded and listened to it again there's all this stuff i didn't even catch like references upon references that he's playing that are just so fluid oh yeah and i was like man you know this is there's just some other projects i was involved in um that i'm not anymore and it just sort of it really solidified you know i was questioning my decision to sort of get away from those things and I was just like no I, I mean you know I'm this is so what I have to be doing it just mm-hmm. sort of yeah it was funny and it took you know that gig was just like a real sort of I don't know mm. revitalized a lot of things it can be hard as a side man because you don't really choose define your life the scene that you're in defines your life mm-hmm. and, and we all kind of go through a stage where you have to say yes to everything mm-hmm. and uh, I admire guys that you know think about what they really want to do and try to create the life that they want in right. the music that they kind of want you know yeah I mean I've been really lucky like and even you know it's the the sort of the thing this this one thing that I sort of backed away from um, it's not like it was bad at no. all at all it was great but it just wasn't me and, you know, the demands, it was, it would have been a lot of touring in the fall and everything. I just, I just, it was just like, it was just that gig was just, I, like, I was sure about my decision to, you know, say, to walk away from it. And then I was just like, no, this is like, I don't know, this, it just, everything, it just, it matters more than, mm. than that mm-hmm. right now. And so, you know. I don't know. And yeah, and I've been lucky that most of the things I've been doing now, most of the things, well, I'm saying most things, kind of everything I'm doing right now, I don't know how this worked out. Um, I, I'm like, I just feel like every time I get to play bass with people, especially over the last few years, it's been like, I'm like, oh, cool, I get to play with, with that person? Like, yeah. That's awesome. It What's becomes so happen? precious, doesn't it? Yeah. It's so like, precious, yeah. And it's like, and it's cool, because, you know, it changes your state of mind, like, when you have a gig that's not great, you know, we're all sensitive musicians, right? Regardless of how we might appear when it's something you love so much, but it's in a context that you might not love as Mm -hmm. much. It can, it can be doubly defeating as opposed to like, Mm. you know, if I had to, if I had to, you know, go and play brick for a living or something, if, if that, if that happened, like that would, that to me would just be something to do, but it wouldn't be as crushing as being in a musical situation where I felt like I was, being crushed yeah does that make sense oh totally totally yeah i mean being a sensitive musician is a blessing and a curse right like we have to be emotional 
to have something to express, you mm -hmm. know. But by the same turn, like if things aren't going right, then we get hurt. I mean, and feel yeah. responsible too. That's, oh yeah, that's my thing. Like nothing I do sounds good. Nothing yeah. feels good. I think it's all me. But then I get on a gig with. Uh, like a different drummer or something like that and I'm like oh yeah oh, oh yeah. yeah no no the world is great no this is awesome yeah. <laughs> you know and the funny thing is it's like it's never as great you know I mean this is a cliche too but it's true it's like it's never as great or as bad as you imagine mm. like uh, you know I go through phases I'm, I'm in a phase right now where I'm, I'm recording a lot of the gigs I'm on mainly because I'm not practicing a lot of the fundamentals as much Mm -hmm. So I've just been checking in the last little bit just to see, you know, make sure things haven't slipped and if they're like, what do I, what do I need to address mm -hmm. in terms of the capital M music stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, where are we going with this? What was this recording thing? Oh, just, oh yeah. So it's yeah. that, you know, when I, when I, when I perceive like, oh man, I really, you know, I really ate it on this gig. Like I really just played terribly. Right. I listen back in a couple of days and it's like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, on the other hand, it's like, man, I felt like it was really connecting to it. And you listen back, it's like, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. So just my, in the moment, yeah. I was feeling whatever. And then, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, well, it's, you've got the magnifying glass cause you, you're you. Yeah. Right. And then when you step back and have some distance, I mean, the same reason I never listened to, uh, a recording I've made till like a week out right. and I've got a little bit of detachment that can be like, yeah, I can see it objectively, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that day, I just oh yeah, I don't want to hear it. I don't it's hear hard. It. Yeah, it's hard. Well, one thing I have learned to trust is that if if listening to the playback on the session, if I feel really good, if I'm if I'm listening to myself and I'm thinking, wow, that sounds really good, mm -hmm. I need to start to worry. Right. Because you know what I mean. It's it to, for me. It it always goes the opposite way. Um, whereas like you know, if I listen to the playback and I'm beating myself up about things, and I go back to it a couple months later, I'm like. I don't hear those things anymore. You just sort of hear mm. the bigger things. Like, oh, it's it's kind of cool. It's mm -hmm. there's something, but uh, yeah, it's you know the psychology of being a musician. Oh my gosh, that's an interesting topic for sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about. Tell me about your development phase, like uh, when you were doing that six and seven hour oh, practice. Yeah. Uh, you said you were kind of systematic about it. What was kind of some of the more fruitful yeah that you pursued it was, at that time it was a great time you know i didn't start playing music until late I, I didn't do anything musical until i was 12 years old um and what it was was um it's kind of a funny story so you know we are as i understand it as i remember our house almost burned down one day something with the electrical box like it was just my my, my mom and my brothers and my brothers and my mom and my brother and um and uh, so we had to clean out the basement by the fuse box, and in doing so, we pulled out. My, my brother was taking guitar lessons at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was I was studying studying visual arts. I was never very good at it. I, I really wanted to be, but I, I wasn't. And uh, so you know, there was a bass, a bass guitar. My mom used to play bass, um, but uh, that sort of went by the wayside, you know. And she had a couple kids that she had to raise and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. A couple boys that she had to keep out of jail. <laughs> so. You know, I saw the bass, and it was an old harmony, oh. and with a warped neck, right? Like the D string just buzzed like crazy, and so anyway, so I really wanted to learn to play, but she was like, "No, like, you know, you gotta see stick stick through these art lessons." And where it was, we were taking in street. Do you know where Streetsville is? Um, no. It's near Meadowville. It's right beside Meadowville. Oh, it's okay, like, okay, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, anyway, Streetsville. It's a nice sort of small town in in the middle of Mississauga, and uh, we had to go to a laundromat for a while because our washing machine 
it's this whole thing. Anyway, so my brother's guitar lessons were right down the street from there, and my art lessons were right beside me, so I was like, come on, you gotta help me take bass lessons. And so finally she did it, and then I was, you know, taking bass lessons, and, you know, just, like, electric bass, and learning, like, rock songs, and mm -hmm. learning to read music, and all that stuff, and it, and it was good. And, uh, and then, um, so then I started, I really realized I wanted to go and to pursue music as, as a mm -hmm. career. And so I realized I wanted to, I was like, I want to go to U of T. And so I realized you had to play upright bass then. And so I, my mom found me a K bass on, on the Penny Saver. Perfect. Yeah. And so okay, we nice. went and bought like that. I just sold that. George Chenery, actually, a former Hummer student, I believe, has that bass now. I oh. played that bass up until a few years ago. Beautiful. And uh, so, you know, my mom fronted me a bit of money. And uh, so I bought that bass. And then I started taking lessons with Pat Collins, actually, because you had Ross on. He was talking about Pat. Mm -hmm. So... Pat Collins was my first teacher, and I had a couple lessons with him, and then we kind of ran out of money. Um, you know, it was just the whole single parent thing. It's mm -hmm. you run out of money pretty fast. Yeah. So I and, and and you know and I and I and I had a lot of work to do. I, I felt like I was kind of wasting his time after the first couple of lessons because I just had so much that I didn't understand. And you know, I got into jazz. My brother got me into jazz, and Pat Pat was really good because he was. Well, he's obviously an amazing player. He's a, he's a great piano player, too. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you're aware of him. I mean, I've heard him play a bit of piano. I remember years ago, but I didn't know. That no, he, he plays, really... man. Wow. Yeah, he he's he's kind of coy about a lot of things, but he can, he can play. Hmm. And so, you know, the, those years I took in between lessons with him, I just sort of got most of the recordings. He gave, like, a list of, like, a bunch of jazz rigs you should get. So I got a bunch of those, and I play along with those. And, you know, just practice tuning, go through the Samandal book, um, practice a lot of time. I'd walk along with records, like, did, mm -hmm. like check, that's when I started getting, checking out, like, really checking out, like, Paul Chambers and Percy Heath and Oscar Pettiford and doing a bunch of transcribing. And then sort of checking out, like, the Toronto, because there's a whole Toronto-based language, mm -hmm. which is a thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, 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 I guess, not unlike the Toronto guitar language. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, it's a thing unto itself. Yeah, and it's, related to the guitar language, I would say. Yeah, absolutely, right? So, yeah. you know, I guess with bass lineage, you sort of, for me, the starting point was, in terms of what I was exposed to, was Don mm -hmm. Thompson. I'm saying Don like, like we're all drinking buddies. And, yeah. And it's not true. <laughs> um, so I started by listening to Don Thompson, and then, you know... Then from there, you sort of get into Neil Swainson, so I started checking out Neil, and then, you know, of course I was checking out Pat because I was studying with him, so I, mm -hmm. I found the first recording I got with him was this Don Thompson recording where Don's playing fives called Winter Mist, where Pat was like 24. Wow. And he sounds like Pat, like he sounds yeah. exactly the same. You know, yeah. he plays uh, alone together, he plays his beautiful solo, and I, I remember I lifted that. And, uh, and then, so just doing a lot of transcribing. So in that time, it was just a lot of fundamental stuff and then transcribing, learning songs. Mm -hmm. Because I was told falsely that for the U of T audition, I don't know who told me this, like, oh, what they do is they call tunes on you. I was like, what? And so I just learned like a couple hundred songs in that time. Wow. And then start taking lessons with Pat again. And by that time, I was a bit better, so he could actually sort of do something with me and we could we did a lot of repertoire talked about voice leading and just overall musicianship things mm. and, and um i remember um ear training too is kind of a, a thing for you right like a sight singing is something that you've yeah been, i been you into? know when i was in new york i got really into this atonal sight singing thing i mean that's that's a whole other you know it was it was called the modus novus right and it was just learning to hear by interval as opposed 
tonal sightseeing. I was really into it for a bit, and then I just kind of got less into it. Right. You know, as one does. But it was the ear thing. I mean, I, I've become sort of more of a champion over using ears to play really simple diatonic melodies. I mean, it's something I try and do with my students in lessons. I try and talk less about the intellectual side and more about just, mm. you know, like one of the things I do that sort of makes me unpopular is <laughs> I'll, I'll get, you know, students to play, and it's like, Oh Canada, or Happy Birthday by ear. Yeah. It's usually a good litmus test. And they test. can never do it. Never do or, it, Well, right? some of them can. But some, but yeah. it's like, it's, yeah. you know, for me, it's usually at a point, and it, it, it kind of creates a... I'm hoping that maybe the student will realize years later that this was a good thing, but it doesn't usually go well in the moment, unfortunately. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's usually at a point like where we're playing a bunch of like you know music in like a weird time signature with weird chords that I'm yeah. like I don't really understand what's going on here, but can mm -hmm. we just check something? Can we just yeah? And you know, because to me that's a bit of a canary in the coal mine. It's like if if we're improvising musicians, which I think we are, we are and. And we want to be honest, which I think we do. I mean, mm -hmm. I, that's something I strive towards is, you know, to me, it's like the, the most big, like playing, you know, Christmas carols or something by ear, just mm -hmm. like, or, or, or sorry, festive songs, uh, to be politically correct. Um, but, you know, like doing that sort of thing by ear is just, it's a really good, it's, it's kind of like, well, well, what am I actually doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, and it blows my mind that, you know, that that's, it, it seems like the most obvious thing, but. I mean, but it's not necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, those skills make everything easier. It's again, it's coming back to that fundamental thing, right? Yeah. And it's like, if you yeah. can do that, then hearing your way through whatever song is going to be a lot easier because you have those, those tools that you can use and that mm -hmm. you're just, I mean, I think, I mean, I mean it's improving the connection from the, the, your ears to your instrument, which right? is the whole point. Yeah, I think, absolutely. You know yeah. what I mean? I think. And that's one thing I found, and I don't know if you found this in your experience, you know, um, as my ears have gotten better, I don't need to spend as much time on the instrument because, I mean, yes, there are things you have to do on the instrument, especially mm -hmm. in the bass because it's a drag. There's a lot of stuff you have to do just to keep the physicality of mm -hmm. going. But as long as the ears are there, and I feel like as long as my ears are getting worked, as long as I, if, I, if I've listened to a few records that day but haven't practiced but have to play a gig i'm going to be okay mm -hmm. but on the other hand i found that even if i practice but i haven't checked out some music that day if i go on the gig i'm going to be a mess mm. you mm. know what i mean like i'm just going to the first set is going to be a write-off mm. well not again it's never as bad as i imagined but it's right. gonna, it's not going to be uh, what i feel is a complete contribution mm. no i'm not doing what i could to make it better mm. for anyone yeah i mean ellington said uh if you don't listen to the music you're not with the music yeah and then that's crucial that always to be listening to music you know yeah. i feel like uh i dry up if yeah I'm, if i'm not listening in an engaged way even transcribing just a little bit like yeah. just getting eight bars of someone else's thing down kind of gets me you know hot is what i call totally. it. it gives me my heat yeah. but uh if, if i'm doing just a lot of technical work and not really checking out anything uh I dry up really fast. Oh, yeah, man. Like, yeah. you know, I went through, and I go through, I mean, it's less, again, since uh, Talia has been born, but I, I, you know, I went through, like, I go through phases of, like, God, I wanted to get really inside a player, so I'll just do a bunch of lifting. And so the last, I sort of revisited Paul Chambers just before she was born and did mm -hmm. a bunch of Paul Chambers lifts. And before that, I was going back to Oscar Pettiford and did a bunch of Oscar Pettiford lifts. And mm. Christian McBride always winds up eking his way in there. And then there's, 
you know, and it's like, I love doing that stuff, you mm-hmm. know, because it just, I find for me, whenever I'm lacking inspiration, which, you know, it happens sometimes, of course, I think it happens to all of us, um, uh, all I need to do is, like, go and, like, steal somebody else's stuff yeah, for a bit. for and sure. I, and it's like, it just sort of reinforces the fact that it's kind of limitless, like, the mm-hmm. possibilities of what you can do, even on just, like, a blues form. Like, I lifted a bunch of Oscar Pettiford playing on B-flat blues, and it was, it was amazing, mm. you know, because, like, in terms of the history of the bass, like, Paul Chambers comes from him, you know, and so to sort of go to that source, like, Oscar Pettiford, not to diminish Oscar Pettiford's contribution, of course, but that's if you look at, you know, the lineage, mm-hmm. he was before Paul Chambers, and he was an inspiration of Paul Chambers, um, so to go back to, to sort of hear him, and then sort of, like, hear him as, because it's like, oh, that's what Paul Chambers was checking out, and that's a large part of how he, you know, so just, it's, it's just kind of fun, to mm-hmm. then, what is that going to do subconsciously, like, mm-hmm. where's that going to put me, and then others, like, you know, Sonny Rollins, of course, and I, 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 I strongly feel that, like, Sonny Rollins between, like, 55 or 58 is, like, one of the greatest improvising musicians ever, he was just such a tank during that period. Totally. Like, totally you know, agree. Checking, I don't know. I mean, so I, I guess the, the initial question was, uh, sorry, man, I'm going off on tangents. No, it's fine. Go off um, on tangents. I like tangents. Uh, talking about, you know, formative years. I mean, I still feel like things are very. I only feel like I've been sort of expressing, expressing myself honestly on mm-hmm. you know, on the base, in the last couple of years. To be mm-hmm. honest, like I mean, when I finished school, I had a lot of things together, but I, I wasn't. I couldn't really play music. Really, mm-hmm. I don't think. I could play the bass a bit, but I couldn't really, and, and I just feel like now I can really, mm. sometimes when things are going well, I can make what I think is a good musical contribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and my odds are getting better now, like my success rate of making good music is gradually, mm. it just eked past 50%, so nice. it's, you know, so it's, yeah. it's a pass now. And uh, have you recorded your own album? Yeah, I did about eight years ago. Eight uh, years, okay. Mine's my last one's seven years. Yeah, yeah. I never released eight it years. though. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? No, I recorded a record uh, right when I moved back from New York um, with uh, Eric Dube on drums and Matt Stevens on guitar. That sounds like a pretty nice band. And it was, nice, it was and a good time to do it too, right? Coming, it was a great time. Back I wrote off the all fire the music. of New York. Yeah, and... I, I wrote a, a record of original music and we recorded it all. Uh huh. And then I just kind of abandoned it, man. I don't know. And it's Why? still there. I don't know. And, you know, I might I might put it on Bandcamp or something. Um, but uh, it was weird. I just went through this period where I was, like, writing all this music. And then, I don't know. I have this inferiority complex. I feel like I play with so many people who write such amazing music. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as time goes by, the music that these people are writing keeps getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like... I can't put that out because like I know what good music original music sounds like and mm-hmm. the music I wrote I don't feel like I don't feel like it reaches that like you know I'm just thinking you know this year like so I did like Amanda Tosoff's next record uh-huh. which I'm very proud of I think it's she did a great record and and Alison Owl's record and those are two people you know who write a lot of amazing original music and like I listen to that and I'm like why would anybody want to listen to my shit <laughs> <laughs> right, right you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. just like it just seems so thought out and you know and like 
I don't know, man. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Composing for me is like, I, I've written like, I think two songs ever that I thought were good. And when I wrote, they, they both happened in 20 minutes. They were just like instantaneous. But like, I don't, I don't have those skills and I admire people who do. Mm-hmm. And, um, or maybe it's just part of the whole self-loathing. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. It's, I might put it out. It's like, I don't know. What out of standards record then? Why not a standards record? No reason, really. I just uh, haven't done it. Yeah, um, cool. You know, uh, you know, and, and, and actually, I, I've, the last few years, I've been getting really, really into going and, and checking out the tradition more mm-hmm. than I did before. Like, it's weird. You know, I was really into bebop and standards and that before I went to school. Because mm-hmm. that's what I was exposed to. And then when I went to school, I started to get into that ECM thing. And like, I don't know if it was if it's what I was or if what I convinced myself I should be, but I started to be like the modern guy or whatever, you know, yeah. you see yourself playing in weird meters and playing all this stuff. And mm-hmm. I guess it it's cool. I guess it's something I do, but I don't know what happened. I guess it was when I came back and, you know, Trevor Giancola had that hotel gig. Mm-hmm. And so when the gig was, you're playing standards all the time. And just, I remember, like, coming back and just playing, it's like, shit, I really like this, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and I don't know, man, it's like, so I don't know what I am, it's like, I, want, I feel like kind of a hack, because I like doing a lot of different things, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if I'm winding up being a jack of all trades, or and just kind of a hack of everything, but I don't know. I feel like, um, I feel like the ego can choose who you want to be, or yeah. the heart can choose who you want to be, and you know, my instruction to my students is always like, you know, always study what you love, like yeah. when you hear something that you love, that's what you learn. Yeah. But don't ever study Charlie Parker because you feel like you want to have that kind of thing in your plane totally, or you think you man. have to have that in your plane. Just like, just go for it. Love as, like, check out as much as you can and whatever grabs you, go yeah. that way. You well, know? yeah, because, I mean, you know, it rings true, right? When you're playing something you're really into, like, you know, for me, a real, that's one thing, one, one of many things I admire about, you know, when Morgan moved to town, um, you know, I remember we, we did these weeklies like Sunday nights at the Rex in, in January or something. And I remember, you know, we the first time we played together was a session. And I just remember instantly, to me, I don't know if Morgan will verify this, <laughs> but I just was like, I just felt like, wow, like, there's that language. Like, there, mm-hmm. everything is suddenly working. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's just our skip beats are like, there it is. You mm-hmm. know, like, that's cool. And not that I haven't had that with other drummers in town, but with, with Morgan, it was that sort of more straight ahead vocabulary. I felt like I could really explore it. And, uh, I remember these gigs, you know, we're playing and, and he was just able to connect in this way musically with the audience and not in a way that was pandering or insulting their intelligence, actually complimenting their, Mm. their taste, not in an overt way, not saying, I think you're, you know, but just, this way of playing that was like, to me, I just thought like, wow, that's really cool. Like, you know, this is a traditionally a tough crowd to win over and, and every week we would mm-hmm. win them over. And I was just like, wow, what is, like, I mean, what is that? And mm-hmm. just, I guess it was maybe the honesty or, or something. It was, I feel like they call it in, in literature, they call it swing. Yeah. That's what they call it. They're just like, it swings. It's that ineffable thing. Yeah. You know? And not that everything has to be swing. No, but, but it's, it's just that it's vibe. that feeling that 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 like it goes and goes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
you know, because as jazz musicians, like, it's so easy to get in that headspace that, like, oh, we're playing a kind of music that's so challenging, so, you know, we're, we're intellectually, you know, up here, and if the audience doesn't like it, it's, it's that they don't get it. Mm -hmm. And that's just total bullshit. Totally. Like, I think. You know? They can handle obscure music. Audiences listen to they, yeah. Keith Jarrett. They listen to Snarky Puppy. They listen Absolutely. to uh, even like some modern hip hop. With it's so esoteric with the uh, samples and the the forms and the weird timings and stuff. Yeah, I think audiences can handle as much anything that you're going to give them. They can handle anything as long as yeah. I think as long as it's honest I mm -hmm. think, and, and true, and, and they can pick up. You know, they can sniff it out when it's not. I think, mm -hmm. and you know. It's uh, again like I'm like I'm thinking of that gig we played uh, with Phil. Like I just felt so so much joy in playing those songs, mm. and it felt like we were getting it back from the crowd. Like it felt like a supportive room. Oh, you were, like, you were. Everyone was grooving. Like even the bartenders and the randoms at the back of the bar. Right. Everyone was like, "What the hell is going on over right. there?" Not just because there was people, because there was this thing happening. Yeah, and it just. I mean, yeah. when that happens, it's like, you know, you don't. The audience is not stupid. The audience is a highly involved, a highly evolved organism that is a really effective bullshit detector. I mm -hmm. think, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Again, sorry, man. These tangents. I, I'm like, I've got dad brain. It's just kind of like right. I, I started a sentence and then just like, right. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Well, why don't so, we say some music? Yeah, let's play. Let's oh, you said music. you had questions, right? Or I guess uh, from we do. The let's let's but, play another tune okay. and then we'll, we'll ask some. We might have touched upon a little bit of what they're gonna ask, but we'll, uh, we'll play a tune and then take a look at what. Uh, okay, is this sort of the vibe of like uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't tell when we're in it. Well, we're in the podcast. This yeah. Kind of. Okay. This is absolutely. How it goes. Cool. We talk, we play, we talk, we play. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, you were saying um, maybe um, uh, Stardust? You want yeah. to play Stardust? If you, if you got the melody for that, I can just let me get the changes to make sure uh, that I'm in the right place here. I don't know if that thing will have the verse too. Not that I want to be like that dogmatic asshole. Um, like, oh, it does. It does. Have oh, it does. Okay, it cool. Does. Yeah. Um, what key is it in there? D flat. D flat major. Cool. So um, we rebottle on the verse. Yeah, rebottle on the verse, and then uh, in time for the okay thing. Okay, great. So this, yeah.
the best songs ever written. Yeah, really. Uh, I have to credit um, Andrew Downing with. Ah. Uh, oh. Yeah, when I was in first year, he subbed in um, for Dave Young for two lessons, and in the first lesson, he uh, he said, "We'll learn this one for next week." Mm-hmm. And uh, I was. I learned it, and I just, I didn't, again, it was one of those songs, I was like, this is kind of weird, notey. Mm -hmm. You know, those Hoagie Carmichael songs, the, the melodies are really notey. Yep. And so I just didn't really, mm -hmm. I wasn't really into it. And now it's like, playing with Amanda, especially, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those songs that's like, uh, I think maybe hearing Nat King Cole's version kind of worked to pull my head out of my posterior in regards to that song. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, so um, we've got a couple uh, questions here yeah. from uh, some people. So um, from people on the internet, actually. On the internet, we I've put heard the ask this. out on the Facebook. On the old Facebook, uh, yeah. And we got a couple people with questions. So okay. um, the first one comes from Harriet Hume. Okay. And she says, "Are there oh, pardon me? Are there specific exercises for working on tone on the bass, or does it just come with time?" Um. Wow. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I know for me, it's a uh, tonal development. I mean, uh, is that is it is it alive? Is oh, it's it, good. Okay, okay it's cool. It's good. Yeah, I just wanted to take a look and make sure we okay. have enough time on it and everything. Okay. Um, when I was sitting with Pat, you know, he was. I'll show you actually physically. Please. I'll show you for for the listeners at home. Uh, I'll <laughs> show you something that you couldn't possibly see. So, you know, there's uh, with double bass. There's like if you're if you're playing like in a jazz tradition or basically anything that isn't an orchestra, you're kind of going to use the side of your finger. And w when I was studying with Pat, he was really big on. He would say like, it's not actually coming from your wrist; it's coming from your shoulder, and you're you're putting the weight of your whole arm into it. Uh huh. So that when if you watch like you know him or especially if you watch St Steve play, um, Steve Wallace for the listeners at home. Uh, you know, you'll see that he's sort of, so like if I'm walking, one thing I'll try and do is like, rather than, which is just if it's coming from the wrist, it actually, I think it sounds different, it feels different. If, so that's more shoulder. sort of more like, like faster passages or whatever you got to sort of edit as necessary um, and you know for me like uh, tonal development is like a lot of it is like well who do I want to sound like I'm, I'm really big on stealing from people I like mm -hmm. uh, which people I like have probably noticed um, <laughs> if they've ever heard me play <laughs> like you know I, I've stolen a lot from Neil Swainson like I like literally like I've just transcribed a bunch of Neil yeah because it's so melodically strong and perfect that like it's it's beautiful in its simplicity you know he'll take a tune at a, at a blistering tempo and he'll play a melody soloistically that's quarter notes and you're just like oh that sounds so burning and you lift it and it's just like man that's just quarter notes but mm. it's like but it's like it's so perfect that it it, it just it, I mean the the brilliance is you know making something it's just so it, incredibly fast and very complicated and he'll just find this Per, pull this perfect little melody out mm. of it all mm. the time, right? 
Right. Um, how does this affect tone? Well, I mean, sometimes if, uh, again, you know, if I need inspiration, this goes into the transcribing thing, I'll just, if I'm not feeling this, I'll just like, well, I, I, maybe I'll pretend to be somebody that I'm into and maybe that'll get the thing. So maybe I might pretend to be like, you know, I might say I'm going to solo on a blues and try and be Paul Chambers. Like... <laughs> changed when you did that like I well it's yeah, yeah i mean because it's like it, that's yeah. the hit or if it's like you know uh how would neil play on a blues this is i hope neil doesn't hear this <laughs> i hope you're not insulted but like, totally this this, this comes from a place of love so if i play badly it's not how i perceive you playing it's just i'm nervous so like you know neil would <laughs> And that's, you know, that's why it's a bit of a rabbit hole when, you know, players talk about strings and setups and things. It's like, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a concept of what you want to sound like, you could, mm -hmm. you know, a guitar, any instrument, it's the same thing. If you don't mm -hmm. have a concept, the, all the gear in the world isn't going to make a difference. No, no, what you hear in your head is definitely what's going to come out of your instrument. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. I mean, like Morgan's record, for example. So Morgan Childs, as you said, he just released a live record. And that record, for me, I was like nervous about it going out. Because half of it, I'm playing a folding bass, my travel bass. The other half, it was the day that my bass got destroyed. Mm. And so I had to play uh, a borrowed bass that day that I hadn't played until about, you know, a couple minutes before the And the, some of those tracks made it on the record. Half of the that. record. They, oh they had this stuff is on a borrowed bass. Ugh. And, you know, I remember being like, oh, man, uh, you know. And then I listened, back, I, I listened to it, and I'm like, I sound exactly the same. Like, right. You know, it's and, I, and I'm so happy about that that I finally started to get to that point where I can sound like something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's you know the tonal thing. It's like it's it's I think I think it's really in the player's head. I mean, there's certain nuance. Of course, I like the strings I use because I like the way they feel and they respond to the way and they're easier on my hands than the strings I used to use. Um, and my setup is the way it is because I want to think less about making a physical effort to get the music I want out. Mm -hmm. um, but. You know, I think the most important thing in terms of tone is having a concept of what you want to sound. And record yourself and hear how you actually sound. Because we all sound very different standing behind the bass than you do in front of it. And mm. that's sometimes hard to remember. Mm. You know, 
is that how you sound out front is very different from, I mean, that's kind of, that's part of the reason I bought this bass is that it's kind of like the Fender Jazz bass of upright basses. It's got this mid-rangey sort of cutting sound. Which, what, what kind of bass is this? It's about a hundred-year-old German bass. Mike Downs used to own it. He owned it two owners ago. I bought it from a guy named, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, uh, Jonathan Amador, who's a great electric bass player. He was, he's also a good upright bass player, but I don't think he was into the upright as much, and so he needed to offload this. Mm -hmm. It's just an unremarkable German shock bass, but it's, it's just got this thing about the sound that I really like, where it's like super clear. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything just kind of rings, everything sounds obvious on it, mm. much like a Fender Jazz bass, where it's just like, it always sort of sits in the mix, I find, mm -hmm. so I don't have to be as loud to be heard, right. which is great. Mm. I'd rather not be loud, I'd rather just sort of be mm. present. Cool. I hope that answers a tonal question. I think there was a lot of answers in there. That was very good. Okay, the next one comes from Miles Finlayson. 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 I never know how to pronounce that last name. Sorry, Miles. Sorry, I'm Miles. getting it wrong. Maybe let me know how to say My it. My last name is Maharaj, right so I feel your pain. Oh, there we go. I get Maharaj. I got Mahoney once, but that's a whole other thing. So he says, what's your approach to navigating a complicated or unfamiliar set of chord changes? Um... That's okay. So there's, I guess, a couple answers in that. Um, one is I try and be. Uh, this is a Neil thing. I try, I try as best as I can at being obvious and playing the most obvious thing, mm -hmm. right? So I, I guess what's let's say let's say giant steps is unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's a, a weird set of chord changes. Mm -hmm. So what I do, there's a couple things I do with students, which is like, it's the easiest thing on guitar, but on upright bass is kind of hard. Where you navigate through songs by doing. Uh, shell voicings of every chord and voice stating them. So, you know, and shell voicing, what I mean for the listeners at home, <laughs> is like going like root third seven or root, uh, or sorry, yeah, root third seven or root seven ten, mm -hmm. depending on where you are. Okay. Of course, right? It's most, it's, it's how you basically do everything. So if, you know, you're taking a song, you know, so on the bass, you'll just like, so giant steps, you know. I'm gonna, I'm assuming that there's a level of understanding about what those chords, maybe I'll do something simpler. How about, how about a blues for now? Okay. So let's say a blues in B flat. So if I'm going to, you know, one, four, really simple, right? So I'm going to say, okay, well, if I voice, then my next logical voicing is going to be. Right. So depending on whether you're coming off the fourth string, you can get that tenth. But yeah. if you're coming off the third string, you're going to put that third Exactly. Okay. And, and, and on double bass, it winds up being a really good technical thing because uh, Pat Collins used to call this, uh, what is it, the lower east or the lower west side. <laughs> you know, you don't play a lot here, which is right. a shame because like when you play around here, everything is easy because all the notes are closer together. You know? right. Like it's all, it's all there, right? It's right. much like electric bass, whereas upright bass we get plagued by playing down here, crawling up the G string and then playing in thumb position, right? Mm -hmm. So unfamiliar chords, I'll try and navigate through using just simple shell voicings. And of course, I would do the inversion of that too, right? Which would mm -hmm. be, uh, well, if I want to make it a bit more challenging, maybe I'll go like. Maybe I'll go. So again, I'm just voice leading depending on where I am on the neck, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so that'll help me get my ears just around what's happening. Mm -hmm. For a song like Giant Steps, I might think, I might I might boil it down to just the triad and try and voice lead through the triad. 
So again, I'm assuming that the listeners know what the changes are to giant steps. If I explain it all, it's going to take... So just maybe, if, you know, let's assume that we know what giant steps is. So I might build just triads, you know, so root position, we got B, uh, D, G, B flat. So I might say, well, I want to do those, but I want to voice lead them. So maybe... Um, exercise that I'll try and get students to do too where so just like you know taking a song like giant steps and going Yeah, and sometimes the version of the next voice. Yeah, so like you can start it by just doing it within the triad, and then you get like and start arbitrarily. Right. 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 And each starting inversion has kind of like a solution that comes about when you look at a cycle type tune like that. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And then so you know, then you can start to build on that and use. Uh, well, you can use different groupings, like, this is kind of fun, like, where you do, like, okay, so within the context of this question, sorry, I'm getting excited and getting off on a tangent, <laughs> but you can, like, seventh is next uh -huh. and then you can go like and then treat treat the upper extension as fair game so So the companion to that on the bass is uh, this is this is the one way I uh, you know like block chords on, I don't know if you can do it on guitar but on piano you know where it's basically a, a bebop major bebop minor scale and you're harmonizing mm -hmm. you're going uh, triad diminished mm -hmm. right so stuff like that on the bass is awesome because you know like uh, let's say I don't know what's a good let's say we're gonna do it in B flat minor just mm -hmm. because that popped in there sure so on the bass it's like it's a real workout because then you're going like so B flat minor six. So what this is is your harmony. You're taking a B flat melodic minor scale, I suppose, putting a passing tone between uh, five and six, and then alternating diminished or 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 minor six chords. What that means is this. Oh, sorry. Drag, but then if you're like take all that information. 
that sort of information will yeah. sort of because the bass is such a pig and you can't really play fast on it, you got to kind of figure out other ways. Right. So to answer the question about navigating, we'll play piano. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. And then try and figure out how to do piano things on the bass and do them slow. And, you know, with bass, you have to be a sniper. you got, got to kind of shoot to kill. That's mm -hmm. one thing I really like about it, but it's really frustrating when you start out because, you know, most of us start out, we, we're sort of not really playing what we're hearing, or not hearing what we're playing, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas on bass, you, on the upright bass, you kind of always have to be doing that, otherwise it doesn't really sound like anything. Mm. So, you know, you listen, I mean, I keep coming back to Neil, but he's, you know, has been and continues to be a huge inspiration for me. And like, everything he plays is clear, and it's melodically concise, and it's like, when you listen to it, it's like, that's, that was the thing to play there. Mm. It's kind of like, I feel like Larry Grenadier is like that, Christian McBride is like that, you know. So many of my favorite, Charlie Hayden was like that, mm. you know, in a whole other way, you know, and it's like, I feel like that's, you know, sort of true mastery to me. Mm. Um, so I hope that helps. It's kind of a vague, convoluted answer, I'm sorry. No, I mean, these things are hard to put into words. I mean, right. they're kind of intuitive in a way, you know, but uh, I think that was very helpful. Um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have any interesting gigs coming up? Anything that uh, you'd like to tell people about? Uh, what's yeah. happening? Um, well, a lot of things that I've sort of... There's a lot of recordings coming out that I, I hope people will listen to. Um, so we're talking about Morgan Child's released recording of the two mm -hmm. we did. Love that album. Thank you. Yeah, it's I, very nice. It was yeah. a great vibe playing that band. It was just a lot of fun. Um, and I'm glad that that comes across in the recording. So not, the fun vibe doesn't always come across in every recording, mm -hmm. but I think because it was a live recording... And we were just playing, and, mm. you know. Amanda Tosov's next record called Words. I'm very excited about. There's going to be a CD release coming up in the fall. Um, I'm doing a bunch of stuff coming up with Emily Clark Barlow. We recorded her next record um, mm -hmm. with the Metropole Orchestra. So I'm very excited about that. Wow. Um, there's a bunch of dates coming up. Um, and then uh, Harley Cards Band is playing. Like, again, like, it's just, man, I, I've been, like, all these original projects that I've been part of some of them longer than others are just sort of coming to fruition mm. and it's just it's just great now like you know it's um it's just kind of a fun time to be mm -hmm. to be me <laughs> nice and nice. Uh, you know and then there's a lot of diapers getting changed but uh, <laughs> but yeah I guess those are the things that you know I don't really have I don't have a website and I don't have a Facebook anymore um I'm on Instagram uh <laughs> That's cool. But, uh, and Twitter. But, Hiding yeah. out in the West End, disconnected, you're kind of... I'm a little bit disconnected, nice. you know what, but it's, it's okay. I I'm kind of feel better about it. I feel like I'm doing what I need to be doing right now. Between family and base, I mean, that's a lot of things to be connected to. Yeah, I mean, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I found, like, I I'm not trashing Facebook, and I understand it as a tool, absolutely, because I was using it as a tool. But what I found was it for me, my perception of it was that it was almost starting to become a little bit too much. Like it, like it, it was like life, like everybody was talking and nobody was listening anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just found myself trying to be something I wasn't on it. And so I had to, I had to disappear because it mm -hmm. just didn't feel true. And, and the thing that's sad about it is there's a lot of things now I don't know. About, but I mean, I, realistically, with the baby at home, I'm not going to see shows, which sucks. Yeah. It doesn't suck that I'm spending time with her, but it's, I used to go out and hear more music, and now I can't. Mm. We well, only have five months, right? Like, that's... Yeah. We're still in the very beginning stages. I still mean, that'll change beginning. over time. It might or might not, because um, when Kathleen, you know, she's going back to work in March, and at that point, then I'm, you know, sort of... I'm, I'm the guy. Stay-at-home dad. For a few years. All right. right? So, I, I might sort of go off the radar for a bit, but, you know... 
don't care. <laughs> I'm kind of happy to just, you know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So mm-hmm. I'm, I, it's amazing. She's amazing. It's great watching her grow up. So, mm-hmm. you know, but those things, those, those sort of things coming up. I mean, if, if, if probably you're better off if the listeners want to hear you, you know, follow uh, Amanda Tosoff on Twitter or Facebook, follow Amu Claire Barlow, follow Harley Card. Okay. And you can see those things are coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, a PBS special I did a little while ago, I think is airing on some more markets with this great singer named Mark Masri. Hmm. Um, it's like a, he's a pop, for lack of a better word, singer, but he sort of came up, I think, doing like praise and worship stuff, and then he sort of crossed over into a more secular thing. Amazing singer. We did this PBS last summer, and it's starting to air in some different markets, but I don't, because I don't have TV, I don't really, I, I know it just started airing around the time Natalia was born, mm-hmm. and then, so I kind of, like, I don't know what's happening with it now, but if you, if you get, if you see Mark Masri on your local PBS, uh, he's uh, an enormous talent, and uh, he's a beautiful human being, so I think you should check it out, but, um, great, yeah, great. Should we play one more, do you think? Yeah, I think we should definitely play one more song, and then uh, we can call it a day. That's that's been really fun. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Again, you know, what you're doing is really, it's really good. I think it's really awesome that you're doing this. I'm glad. Well, I really enjoy hanging out with uh, musicians and just hearing what they... uh, have to say it's it's selfish actually because I'm I'm gonna steal some of your licks I'm gonna steal some of your tricks you my know? tricks yeah I'm gonna do that with everyone and I you know I've, I've been learning a lot just talking to people you know yeah I I because you've done what Trev Rob mm-hmm. uh, Sam mm-hmm. I heard uh, the ones uh, Ted I, yeah. I've heard like I think five I heard the ones with Trev Ted uh, a bit of Sam and Ross mm-hmm. and. And Morgan. Morgan, yeah. yeah. Next week we've got, uh, Ra- uh, pardon me, um, Red Schwager. Oh, Red! Yeah, so I'm going to definitely get inside his He's secrets. Talk He's to Red. got his secrets. So Red is, for the listeners at home, uh, Red is an incredibly quiet guy, and I I'm I look forward to hearing yeah. how you get Red <laughs> to talk. Like You're going to have to give him some yeah. treats to him or something. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm going to figure something out. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, cool. Uh, what do you want to play, man? Oh, man, how about, um, hmm, how about, do you like Itchy or No One? Yeah. Yeah, you like that yeah. too? I don't know. Yeah, okay, uh, what key do you like it in? Uh, F. Cool. Yeah. Do you like, uh, for the listeners at home, where there's many <laughs> paths to this tune, <laughs> um, do you like doing the thing from B split or just from the, or just from B the, split, yeah, Okay, cool. for sure. And do you think, for the chromatic thing at the end? Um... Oh, at the very end. Yeah, the very end. Absolutely. Cool. Sure. All right. Yeah. You want me to take that on this one? Yeah. All right. One, two, one, two, three.
Nice, man. All right. Beautiful. Nice to play with you. So yeah, beautiful. Nice, man. You too. I think my reverb, my cable pulled the reverb knob oh. and put it up to 10. Perfect. And that's why I had the ECM sound going. It's good, man. I felt like I was in the 70s again. It's like the ghosts of the ECM yeah. came to haunt Lord us for that last time. I was thinking, yeah, that's Young too I don't think that guy, I think that guy's still alive, but, you yeah. know, maybe he can project his spirit over here and crank the reverbs. But Yeah, it feels great and everything, but is there any way we can put more silver on it? <laughs> is there anything we can do? <laughs> nice. nice, man. Cool. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Nathan. All Thanks right. a lot. So you just... Thanks to my guest, John Maharaj, for joining me on the podcast this week, and thank you for listening. Uh, I'll be doing some dates in British Columbia over the next week or so with Morgan Childs and David French, and uh, for any of our listeners near Invermere, I'll be doing a clinic on jazz guitar at the Invermere Music Festival, 3 p.m. on August 23rd. Uh, For more information on the tour dates, uh, you can visit morganchildsmusic.com. Next week, we'll be returning to guests that play the guitar for a while, Uh, with the phenomenal guitarist Reg Swagger, and this is for the 10th episode. So if you have any uh, questions for Reg, you can ask them on Twitter. My handle is at NateHiltz, and uh, you can ask using the hashtag uh, BEAskReg, which is uh, B for body, E for electric, ask Reg, R-E-G. Okay, thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye.